My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. Constant depletion, not knowing, not being educated, not being resourceful, not having the tools, having no idea that growing a baby depletes me of so much. Like I download, what, 70% of my minerals to my child while I'm pregnant? Faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. Let's talk about blood tracking. There's a really, really slick platform called Inside Tracker. They not only test your blood, but they give you this amazing action plan that gives you personalized guidance on your exercise, your nutrition, your supplementation. You can connect with your Fitbit or your Garmin. Basically, that means you get real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workouts. This thing's like having a personal trainer and nutritionist and blood work interpretation expert in your pocket. And they do blood, they do DNA, they do fitness tracking data, and some really smart cookies, specifically scientists in aging and genetics and biometrics designed the whole platform. So if you want to know exactly what's going on inside your body with no guesswork, Inside Tracker is the company that does that and they do it really well. You go to insidetracker.com slash Ben, that gets you 20% off their entire store. That's insidetracker.com slash Ben. So I do red light. I just got done doing it like 10 minutes ago. It's amazing. Full body red light, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the evening, sometimes both. But the science behind red light therapy for supporting thyroid function, for supporting testosterone production, for supporting collagen, elastin, boosting cellular energy via triggering the mitochondria, healing damaged cells that have been under oxidative stress, helping with sore muscles, helping your joints to bounce back faster and get back in the gym faster. Red light does this and so much more. But not all red lights are created equal. The one that I use has undergone third-party testing. It has safety marks from nationally recognized testing laboratories. It's made from only the highest quality materials, including medical-grade components. And it is, in my opinion, the best of the best and gives you the highest dose in the shortest period of time. It's called Juve, J-O-O-V-V. I use their Elite. It allows me to treat my entire body in like 20 minutes, front and back. They also have Juve Go, which you can take on the go. Any of the Juves, you get a steep discount on. How? Go to juve.com slash Ben. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash Ben to pick up a juve today. J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash Ben. Quality, true medical grade, safety testing, and results from this stuff. Juve.com slash Ben. And you're going to get an exclusive discount on your first order when you use my code Ben on your qualifying order. Let's talk CBD. I use it. I use it especially at night. I sometimes double up on it when I travel. It's hard to find the good stuff, the stuff that actually works not only to manage inflammation and pain, but also to help you sleep like a baby. I go full spectrum and not only do I go full spectrum, but I go with CBD. That's like small batch, super high quality harvested from these very specialty farms in Kentucky. It's made by Element Health. I've been using this CBD since 2018. Total game changer for me with sleep, with recovery. Their full spectrum CBD is by far the most potent stuff on the market. It's all handcrafted on family farms. The quality is second to none. They got a gummy also, which is amazing. I pop two of those gummies and I'm out like a light within about 30 minutes. They also have their maximum strength bottle, which is holy cow. It works like one dropper full and I'm out, even on like a plane flight, whopping 4,800 milligrams of 
full spectrum CBD, insanely powerful stuff. And so if, if you're looking for CBD that actually works, that's powerful, that's clean, that comes in either, like I mentioned, a super tasty gummy or an oil. They even make like a, like a, not a vaporizable formula. It's like a smokable formula, almost like CBD joints. This company has it all figured out. My buddy, Adam Wengar runs it. He's been on the podcast before. Really smart dude. So here's how you get 15% off of any of the Element Health CBD products. Go to elementhealthsupply.com slash Ben and use code Ben15. That gets you 15% off. Elementhealthsupply.com forward slash Ben and use code Ben15. I'll get you 15% off. So enjoy. Well, folks, it is time to talk to another amazing parent, a parent who was in my book, is in my book, Boundless Parenting. She was kind enough to give her perspective as someone who has been through a divorce, through financial ruin, through the death of her parents, through pretty debilitating anxiety and depression, and kind of found a new life in terms of health and wellness through detoxing and cleansing and just rebuilding her entire existence. But she's also a mother and uh, she's actually pretty well known now in the wellness sector. Uh, she's a model. She's an actress. She's a blogger. She's a triathlete. She's a pretty well-known wellness and health authority. Uh, she was an international model from the time she was 18 years old. And uh, that led to a lot of interesting developments along the way that she's going to share with you on today's show. Her name is Angie Fletcher, Angie Fletcher. And everything we talk about, the show notes are going to be at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Fletcher, F-L-E-T-C-H-E-R. Like a lot of these interviews with the people who are featured in Boundless Parenting, you know, I didn't want to just like rehash everything that she covers in that chapter about you know, her experience as a single mother and then a married mother and the elements of her parenting approach that are unique and then the educational and disciplinary approaches that she's used, rites of passages, you know, teaching her children about raising their own children, a whole lot more. But I also want to get into her own pretty unique and I think pretty inspiring backstory. So we're going to jump into all that and plenty more. Angie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Those intros are always so crazy. Yeah, well, I do my best. I, I, I try I try to strike a balance between making you look really good and just making stuff up about you. So yeah, I appreciate both. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully I, I, was, I was mildly accurate. So you, you actually have a pretty crazy story leading up to the point you even became a parent. So you were a model, huh? I was, yeah. I, I mean, I grew up kind of very, very, uh, I would call it normal middle class, um, other than my dad died when I was 10, uh, when I was 11, sorry. So I grew up very, very normal German Swiss parents living in Canada. Um, all the normal things that I thought was normal, like, you know, eating Lucky Charms in the morning and, mm -hmm. uh, well, for, my for me, it was shoving. Captain Crunch, but I get you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, my, well, to be accurate, it was like no name Fruit Loops. Um, but anyway, my mom would shove a tablespoon of cod liver oil down my throat before I left for school. And then I'd be burping up fish oil. But that was like the healthiest part of my growing up was that one tablespoon of cod liver oil. Other than that, it just, my mom, because she was a widow at 38, she did the best she could with the tools that she had. And so, you know, we went to, we, we grocery shopped on discount Tuesdays once every month and got what we needed. A lot of it was frozen. We lived in uh, the upper Northwest of Canada um, so 
I always thought that I was just, you know, my mom kind of labeled me as dark, as, as dramatic, as not depressed, but we didn't really know that word back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but just very dark. I was very low. Um, I had a ton of physical ailments, like my period, I had period cramps for so severe for three days out of the, out of the month that I'd be in the fetal position. I Jeez. missed school three it's days. Probably out of all the that month. cod liver oil, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, a, a multi multifaceted uh, stuff happening. But for me, what I look back on now is a lot of my grief, my un untalked about grief uh, turned physical for me, which I, you know, now we know that there's obviously such a connection between physical and emotional and mental, spiritual health, all of that. But back then I didn't. So my missing three days a month of school really was my body processing as a, as a young girl, a pubescent girl um, who lost her father, her hero. And so it was, it was almost like my body giving me those three days to allow myself to be in the fetal position and cry and really grieve my dad. Wow. Now I didn't, I didn't make that connection until 20 years later, but looking back, you know, I was, um, I was hypoglycemic. I was all, I was labeled all these things, which really, again, um, was just depletion for me, because I didn't have the right nutrients, I didn't have movement, I didn't have all these things, didn't have sunshine, didn't have all these things in my life that I do now. Um, so I went through school, I became a model at 18, um, and started working internationally, and started living in Europe, I moved to New York, I got married at 19, uh, to another model, and we lived in New York, we lived a blissfully naive, um, happy time, had my baby in New York, I got, I started um, my mothering journey, my motherhood journey when I was 24. Now, I, gotta, I, I gotta ask you real quick, like being more. a model and then getting pregnant and having a baby, did you have a lot of the common nutritional deficiencies, like fatty acid deficiencies, you know, the hypothyroidism from low calorie intake, like a lot of those things you would expect from being a model? No, no, I didn't at all because I ate about a tub and a half of chubby hubby Ben and Jerry's every night. So I got some oh. good calories in that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had zero clue, zero about nutrition, nothing. My my postpartum season with my first was uh, as almost as horrific as it gets with postpartum depression, which again, now I know is postpartum depletion. Um, but I talk about my my first postpartum time as fair as one of the darkest times of my life. Um, and don't really need to get into it here much because I go over it a lot on my website and in different places, but just depletion, constant depletion, not knowing, not being educated, not being resourceful, not having the tools, having no idea that growing a baby depletes me of so much. Like I download what 70% of my minerals to my child while I'm pregnant. Um, like so hmm. many things that I had no idea how to recover myself just thinking, oh, everything's about the baby. Everything's about the baby. You mean, you mean after you had your baby, you didn't know how to replenish? No, even during. I mean, I was, like I said, I was 24. I was a model. I had no idea about anything nutritionally wise. Um, I would, I would not eat to stay in the sample size. I didn't, I didn't know anything. This was 20, 25 years ago. Wait, yeah. I'm not 50. I'm 44. This was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Should have included that in your bio. Um, so, so even, even like before you had the baby or, or during, 
like as a model, you didn't experience anything in terms of like that, that you would label nutritional deficiencies from being like, you know, excessively lean or anything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, because I didn't know anything else. I, I, I grew up so old school and so like calories in calories out. And for me staying a sample size, uh, I was taught, you know, normal model size, I'm five ten. Um, but to stay a zero or a two, for me, I, I just became anorexic. And I hate labeling it that because obviously that's so severe, but I really was. I was so deficient, which obviously aided to my depression and my anxiety because I would eat like I, I, I would walk all, all day long in Germany, going on ghosties, going on castings, working, and I would eat maybe half an apple dipped in some Nutella. And like that, that would be my, my nutrition. And then, you know, again, not knowing anything about cycles, hormones, female cycles, I would, I would then start craving pasta and then I would binge on pasta. And and it was, yeah, it was me not having any tools, not having any resources and just trying to stay in a sample size, which would mean that I didn't eat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was reading a story on your website about how you wound up in the hospital after like the fireman had to come into your apartment and you were on the bathroom floor naked. Was that before or after you had your baby? <laughs> that was a- that was after my first baby. Um, that was after my divorce, actually. So that's that's about cutting to that's like 10 years later around. Okay. Um, so I I had our baby in New York. We moved to Los Angeles. I got a I got separated in Los Angeles and divorced. And as a Christian, you know, growing up, I, I didn't have any par- any family members that were divorced. D, the D word certainly wasn't in my vocabulary at all growing up. So getting a divorce for me what seemed much more extreme than for a lot of other people. It seemed a lot more dramatic because I stopped talking to my mother for three years. She didn't agree with my divorce. So I, I stopped talking to her because I knew that I had to go through that divorce. And um. And so during that time when I wasn't speaking to my mother and I was alone with my baby um, going through financial hardship because my my ex-husband wasn't – anyway, I don't need to throw him under the bus, but I, I definitely was going through a lot of financial hardship. So I was in this one-bedroom apartment, and my, my husband at the time, my ex-husband was take, you know, we shared custody. So at the time that I didn't have him, I lived for him. I did everything for my son, like everything. And when I didn't have him, those were times where I turned to substance abuse. So um, I was doing a lot of stuff that ended me in the bathroom in my apartment alone. And it was so small that I was sitting on the toilet. I had massive diarrhea. At the same time, I was vomiting in the sink because the sink was that like little pedestal sink that was quite close to the toilet. So I was kind of like coming out from both ends until I ended up passing out. And I don't know how I grabbed my phone. I don't remember, but I grabbed my phone, called 911. And the next thing, you know, the, you know, those traumatic moments in your life where all you really have as memories are those like little flashes of memories. Yeah. So I remember a guy, I remember a male voice coming in and then he had to call a female um, attendant, uh, not attendant, but he had to call a female because I was l- naked, covered in my own feces and Jeez. who knows what else, but. So yeah, I, at, at one of the lowest points in my life where I couldn't even afford to pay my rent, I ended up with a probably around a $10,000 ambulance bill and stayed the night in the, 
in the hospital as they were resuscitating me and filling me with IVs and all that. So it was a, it was a dark, dark time. That was, that was a low wellness moment for me, but it was one of those pillars, one of those foundational pillars that just changed the trajectory of my life. Either, you know, it was either I could keep on living that life or I knew that I had to make a change. I had, I had to stop doing stuff that didn't happen overnight. It still was a couple of years after that, but I started making changes like quitting smoking and just making little changes that led to huge lifestyle changes. Yeah. And so, so how long did it take you to get from that point to, you know, starting to, to jump into things like triathlons and, and really become almost like a, a wellness authority? Like what, what happened that, that kind of pushed well, you in that direction? I wouldn't call myself an authority by any means. I definitely am an expert in my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and triathlon saved my life by far. Really? You know, the, the only thing uh, everyone asks me how I quit smoking, because now of, of course we're in a season of where anxiety is so prevalent that people turn to old habits or new habits to try and soothe that. And for me, the only thing that that helped me quit smoking was doing something that was harder than quitting because I tried to quit for over a year and I would, you know, throw the pack in the garbage. I would um, throw them in the sink and then I would go back in the middle of the night and like, you know, ground around in the garbage can to try and find that half of a butt and still smoke. Like it, it, I didn't, I wasn't able to quit until I completely changed my lifestyle and training for triathlon, you know, doing those six to eight hour rides where you think you're going to die, but you still have to make it home. So you find a way like that mental and physical training was harder than quitting. So quitting seemed easier. Yeah. And that's kind of how I lived the rest of my life. I kept on doing hard things so that what once was hard now became easier because I've done something harder. Yeah. Yeah. And at at what point along the way did you get remarried and start a new family? So my, um, I've been married now for eight years. So my, my, uh, so funny, right? COVID makes you like skip time. We're like, wait, that was three years ago. No, it was five years ago. Um, so during triathlon, my coach in triathlon was a guy that I knew from 20 years prior and he coached me and he was going through a divorce at the same time. Um, and we became good friends again, rekindled and then fell in love. And so I got married to him probably about eight years ago. My mom died six years ago. And right after my mom died, I got pregnant and subsequently pregnant again. So I had two, two babies back to back. So, so, so the guy, have- the guy that you married, you're talking about Arlind. Is that how you don't yes. pronounce his name? Yeah. So yeah, Arland. Okay, cool. And you, and you guys operate this whole like wellness website now, but he he was originally a triathlon coach. No, he was originally a model as well. Oh. He's a farm boy, grew up on a farm, a, a huge family farm and was discovered much the same way that I was up in Canada, just kind of doing his thing and then was catapulted into the international world of modeling, which used to be, you know, before Instagram modeling, modeling actually used to be a thing where where you used to travel and and actually be this international model. So he was a very, very well-known model, modeled for every designer. Like he was the classic Zoolander, like the classic Zoolander. Um, Lived in New York, LA, uh, Europe, everywhere. And then he moved, and then he started doing triathlon as well, which he was always very athletic. So, you know, living in New York as a model, you worked 
you worked out at the Reebok club and it was just kind of part of that lifestyle of being a model as you would, as a male model, especially he was very fit. Um, yeah. and his wife at the time was doing triathlons, So he was doing, he started doing triathlons as well. And, um, and just started coaching me and he taught me how to swim. Um, I was terrified of the water, like beyond terrified. I, I couldn't even open my eyes in the water because I remember my brother using, used to tell me that in the back where those filters were, that's where the killer whales, that's where we kept the killer whales. <laughs> so I, like I couldn't even open my eyes in the pool, never mind uh, in open water. And because of my husband now, who was my coach at the time, I actually did Escape from Alcatraz triathlon and came in first place as as an age grouper in the Los Angeles triathlon where they had such overwhelming waves at the time that they rescued over 200 people in the water. And I was, became a quite a strong swimmer just again from constantly overcoming, constantly doing hard things. Um, and then I went to China for worlds and came in sixth place on the bike because bike cycling is my, is my passion. I used to bike with my dad. So that was kind of a connection to him and, so I did that for years and years, probably around 10 years, um, was one of the top age group athletes. I never went pro just because I was too old. I started in my thirties, so I didn't, you know, I didn't, ever, I never got my pro card, but it was, it was, like I said, it saved my life. Triathlon saved my life because it, it became my lifestyle. Training became my lifestyle. And I, I stopped going to parties. I stopped, I was in a big celebrity circle in Hollywood and as a, you know, when I was smoking and drinking and partying, um, I, I just had to quit that lifestyle in order to overcome my social anxiety. Cause once I quit smoking, I couldn't go out anymore because I had such social anxiety because I didn't know what to do with my hands. Yeah. And with quitting smoking, I also quit drinking because the two went hand in hand. There was such a wire in my brain that when I had, when I had a glass of wine, I had to have a cigarette because it was like the pairing of the two was just so amazing for me that to this day, it's very hard for me to have a glass of wine without craving a cigarette. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you discovered, you know, and you brought up the movie, so I'm going to throw out the line from it that there's a lot more to life than being really, really ridiculously good looking. Yeah. <laughs> a lot I, more. I, I'm pretty sure that's Derek Zoolander. Any plans on finding out what that is? Nice um, quote. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot of good quotes in that movie. That the the you 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 googlies. The you googlies. Yeah, delivering yeah, the you googly. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyways. You raised your first son. Uh, his name was Oliver, right? Or is Oliver? Yes, Oliver okay. J. Yeah. And, and one thing that I thought was really interesting in your contribution to the parenting book was where you talked about the kind of like the tiny traditions that you formed as mm -hmm. a single mother, like like the things that you did with him to come closer together. And, and that's like a repeated theme I saw a lot in Boundless was parents stepping out of the way to create these traditions and rituals, even if they were small. Tell me a little bit about the the traditions that you had with Oliver. Mm, yeah, it's so cool. You know, I, I, first of all, I didn't even thank you so much for having me be a part of that book. I think it's such an incredible tool um, for parents because <laughs> there is no tool book, right? There is no, there is no one book and you putting this together with however many um, parents, I just love that it's this one tool box that people can go and, and see what different people are doing and that it's not parenting is no one size fits all nothing is obviously yeah and, and i that, love that was the goal by the way was answering. was like i wanted you in there because you have experience as a single mother as a divorced mother and then later on as a married mother and i didn't want to just have like my voice or my wife's voice or 
say like, you know, like, like I also was raised Christian. I know a lot of pastors and teachers who are Christians and they have a different perspective than others. And I, I, I wanted to get a full spectrum of people. So, you know, I have everybody from Paul check who has two wives to, you know, to single fathers, to divorced mothers, to a whole subset of people so that people can kind of like borrow from the best of the best. And, and yeah, one thing about that is the traditions and the rituals. So what kind of stuff did you do with Oliver? Yeah. Well, it's just, it's so fun. Like I said, answering those questions because it feels like a million years ago, you know, it, it was, he's, he's almost 20. So it, it was a full lifetime ago for me. Um, and I just do such, I did such different things in that season of my life than I do now in this new parenting season for me. So back then, 15 years ago, I, I didn't have any money. So I remember being so embarrassed because I was driving in the car with a guy at the time and Oliver was in the back seat and we were driving up La Brea Boulevard in, in Hollywood and we passed the dollar store and Ollie from the back seat goes, oh, mom, look, it's your favorite store. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> ooh. you know, kids say the truth. And because I, I, I would go there, that's where I would grocery shop with him. That's where we would get all of our supplies. And so he knew that store and life was it was really, really hard, but it was also extremely simple. So, you know, we on Friday nights, some of our little rituals would be we would roller skate um, and he would ride his little bike to Blockbuster. Again, aging myself, but we would <laughs> ride our bikes to Blockbuster, go and get a movie. And then on the way home, we would grab ice cream and come home and make little root beer float root beer floats while we watched a movie. And, you know, again, for me, at the time, I was so embarrassed and so low and depressed because I was like, oh, all my friends are, you know, taking their kids to Disneyland and taking their kids here and there. And here I am on Friday night. All I can afford is to rent a movie, um, you know, and, and sit down with him. And it's funny because also what I found in parenting is our kids have such a different perspective as we do than we do. So as Oliver was growing up, I would ask him like, hey, what do you remember because I remember that time being so dark and I remember, you know, putting him to bed early so I could smoke my cigarettes out on the balcony. And he, he just remembers these sweet different things. So my ex-husband stayed in the in the big million dollar house that we had in Hollywood and I decided to 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 leave. And I just had a mattress on the floor um, in our little apartment. And Ollie just he re, he literally tells me, he's like, Mom, I had the sweetest time with you. Because our, our apartment was so small, I felt so close to you. I felt like I was all that mattered. And, you know, we would have sleepovers on the mattress on the floor because we didn't have AC. So there was a little upstairs and a downstairs. We would bring the mattress down for the entire summer and sleep on the floor. And he he remembers that as being such a sweet time. And I look back at it now, too, going, oh, my goodness, that was a sweet time. Yeah. Because it was just little simple things became became big traditions because it was just us. Yeah, I you think know, there, there I think wasn't these big distractions. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. Like we we think that our kids need like fancy epic vacations to, you know, some exotic beach locale or, you know, <laughs> a different country or even a different state. And like this this is fresh on my mind because we recently had a, a kind of a little bit of a nightmare where we were going to take a family vacation to Costa Rica and this was like a week and a half ago. We flew all the way to Costa Rica and got turned around and sent home at immigrations because somehow my passport had been reported as lost or <gasps> stolen, which is crazy because I just traveled with it the month prior. So 
there's some kind of snafu in their system and their their protocol there was they just send you packing on the first flight back to the US. They flew us back to Newark and then we had to fly to Denver. And you know, we eventually, like 30 hours later, got back to Spokane. And so now I'm sitting at home with my sons who were expecting this amazing vacation to Costa Rica. And I thought, well, I gotta mm. make this a special week for them. And we wound up doing basically like card games and board games every night, going out to little diners and local hot spots for acai bowls and waffle brunches. Mm-hmm. We did mm-hmm. um, we we did an escape room. We went on hikes almost every day. We would do like breath work in the sauna in the evenings. We watched a couple of movies and had like movie dinner nights. We did a couple of one-on-one date nights and, you know, all in maybe during that entire week, we we probably spent like maybe $250 more than we would have spent during a normal week at home, just making mm-hmm. it a special week for them. But, you know, it was basically just like a staycation and they loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to the end mm-hmm. of the week and they were like, this was probably better than Costa Rica. And we were just at home the whole time, just making do in our local community. And, you know, I mean, kids just want to be with their parents. And this, this is a repeated theme in the book. They want presents, they want time, and they really don't care if it's, you know, in some spendy hot spot halfway across the globe, you know? No, I totally agree. I th- I think it's totally the opposite. I think that they that they want that simple that simple life. They want it's the int- intention behind it. You know, my kids have no idea if they're in the middle of Africa or if they're in a tent in our front yard because their imaginations are so huge that we think we need all these big things and all this extroverted stuff. Where really, if you sit down, like all my daughter wants to do is is talk with her little Barbies or her little cars. Mama, can you talk cars? Mama, can you talk rocks? Like their imagination is so huge that often when we think of all these things that we have to do for them, we're actually stunting their imagination, you know, like making a movie out of a book or doing something instead of just sitting there and, you know, putting little twinkle lights in their, in their room and making it this African safari. Yeah. Yeah. And, and granted, like there, there is something mind expanding about travel for both children and adults. Like for When sure. we do travel leading up to any vacation that we go on, we make it a point to cook foods from the area. Like if, like if it's a, if it's a, like, like a, uh, an international hotspot, like if we're going to, I don't know, Japan or Thailand, we'll cook meals from that region. We'll do language studies. Like we're currently like a hundred some days into Duolingo because we're going to go ride our bikes in Italy this summer and we'll study the history of that place. And it, it fits perfectly with like homeschooling or unschooling this idea of using travel as a lot more than just hopping on a plane and going to the place, right? There's months and months leading up where we're making it a part of the educational experience and the unknown elements of travel, having to speak new languages, go to new places, figure out, you know, how to get there via planes, trains, and automobiles. I think a lot of that's very mind expanding for, for a kid or an adult, but at the same time, oh, the best I think education I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some the parents put pressure on themselves. Yeah, exactly. I think some parents just, they put pressure on themselves thinking that that's what you have to do for a special time for a kid. And like, we had this dream when our kids were young of being that nomadic family who would work on <laughs> the beach in Thailand from our laptops while our kids, you know, ran around with the monkeys or whatever. And we realized like, there's kind of like a dark side to hypermobility. Like it's hard on kids' mm-hmm. circadian rhythms. They don't form roots in the local community. There's, there's so much mm-hmm. in your local community that you take for granted and don't go out and explore like the museums and the restaurants and, you know, and, and the classes and the things that are right there under your nose, because you're kind of like, you know, glancing sideways at the Joneses who are traveling all over the world and thinking that's what your kids need. 
but I don't think any parent needs to guilt trip themselves. I think a lot of parents realize this during COVID, right? There's so much Mm -hmm. that you can do right at home in your local community. And so despite there being a huge element, I think probably like a good 50% of the parents in boundless parenting do a lot of travel with their kids. Mm. I think that you have to strike a balance and in teaching your kids how to find meaning in terms of just like service and experiences and learning in the local community is something that, that I think could be emphasized even more, you know? Are you ready to get a golden milk latte without spending eight bucks at the local coffee shop? There's this stuff. It's this gold latte pre-mixed blend, delicious and filled with superfoods and medicinal mushrooms. It is one of the best nighttime tonics. Keeps your mind off of ice cream and other sweets at night. Kind of heals your body while you sleep. I shouldn't say heals. I don't even know if I can say that. Heals, cures. All I, all I know is it makes you feel amazing because it promotes restful sleep and supports physical recovery. You wake up refreshed without drowsiness. Tastes delicious and like a little bit of warm coconut milk. Oh, so good. Low sugar. So it's a dessert-like tea that's guilt-free. 100% USDA certified organic. It's called Organifi Gold. Organifi makes these amazing juice powders. Organifi Gold is turmeric and ginger and reishi mushroom. And oh, it's all blended together and tastes so, so good. They've got lemon butter in there and turkey tail as well, which are super nourishing to your gut and your immune system. You get 20% off of this stuff. You go to Organifi.com slash Ben. That's Organifi with an I.com slash Ben, and that will get you 20% off your order from Organifi. And that's the gold juice powder I just told you about. All right. You may have heard the rumblings about this event as actually happening. So get out your calendar. March 10th through the 12th, March 10th through the 12th, Uh, 2023, of course, I am doing a big event in the hotspot of Sedona, Arizona. If you haven't been to Sedona, it's amazing. The hiking is amazing. The food is amazing. The energy is amazing. And my friend, two-time former podcast guest and an amazing expert in breath work and self-discovery in movement and all the cool things that happen as far as like body, mind, spirit connection down there in Sedona is putting on an event, her grand opening event at this place called Shine in Sedona. And I'm going to be there giving a keynote talk, teaching you all about breath work and biohacking. But that's not all. She has so many experts coming in. We have a freaking cacao ceremony. If you've never done a cacao ceremony, it's drinking really good chocolate in a very ceremonial way. You're going to love it. They got mind-body reset sessions using quantum energetic technologies, infrared rays, negative ion therapy, crystals, these special mats that you lay on as you do special forms of breath work. They've got a heart expansion coaching session where you actually learn using neurofeedback technology how to guide and modulate your nervous system. The list goes on and on, but what's cool is there's even a VIP dinner with me. I'm bringing my entire family to Sedona and we are going to cook you a Greenfield style home dinner right at a private location. It's a VIP part of this experience. Not only that, but my sister is going to be playing live music there. So the whole thing's just going to be amazing. Anyways, if you want to get in, we're only opening up the dinner to 25 guests and Shine has limited space. So tickets are very limited for this. They're going to go fast. And again, it's coming up quick, March 10th through the 12th. You can fly into Phoenix if you need to get to the area. If you're already in Phoenix or the Sedona area, you know where you're going. So here's the address bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash shine Sedona. That's bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash shine 
Sedona. You can get in, you can grab your ticket. There's different ticket levels. There's the tickets for the VIP dinner experience. You can even attend virtually at a fraction of the cost if you can't make it there live, even though there's a lot of cool things happening, of course, if you are there live. So one more time, bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash shine Sedona. If you don't know how to spell Sedona, just go Google that. Shine Sedona. I hope to see you there. All right. I've worked to achieve many things in life, but my greatest yet most humbling work, I think, has been with my role as a father. Parenting is blissful. It's brutal. It's far beyond anything I ever could have anticipated. My sons are now teenagers, and the people around us who engage with them often ask if I could write a book on raising children and education and legacy and discipline and all this stuff that goes into raising a good child, a good human. Now, I didn't feel that qualified to write a parenting guide. So I gathered a team of parenting superstars, dozens of my friends, entrepreneurs, authors, neurologists, psychologists, family coaches, a whole lot more. I got all their best tools, techniques, perspectives, habits on, again, everything from education to discipline to travel to rites of passage and beyond. And I put it all in one massive book that's like the guide to parenting. So it's now available. It's at BoundlessParentingBook.com, and that's where you can pre-order your copy today. So BoundlessParentingBook.com, it has been an absolute adventure putting this thing together. I think you're going to love it. What I always say in my in my stories on Instagram is do what you can in the season you're in because you know everything that you're talking about with expansion and and travel and everything leading up to it. Like you know, if if I took that as as a parenting goal when I was single going through a divorce where I didn't want to move five miles from my ex-husband because my goal as a single mother to, to be able to alleviate my guilt of actually leaving and separating the family, I stayed close to my ex-husband so that my boy could grow up with his dad. So those were my choices. But I certainly would, I, I couldn't give him the life that I would have wanted to, which is exactly what you described, but they're seasons. And I'm now able to give my children a different life than my than my firstborn. I almost have like a little bit of I'm like a grandma now because you know I'm I'm able to make different choices. But do what you can in the season you're in. Because yeah. any anything that you do, you can be intentional with that and your children will thrive. And you talk about that in the chapter how Oliver went to public school um mm-hmm. in in Los Angeles just because that was that was the decision that you had to make. But now your other kids, you have you have two other kids right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a five-year-old and a four-year-old. Yeah, and in the book you talk about how now you're homeschooling them and nature schooling them, mm-hmm. and I think you use the term world schooling them at home mm-hmm. there in Texas. So I'm curious, what what's that look like now in terms of the type of educational experiences that your that your two younger kids are having, especially in terms of like nature schooling and world schooling? I'd love to hear you explain a little bit more about what those are. Yeah, again, it's totally just a different season that I'm in. So I'm able to give uh, from a different place. And and again, parenting, you know, dual parenting is is a lot easier in some aspects. In other aspects, it's not because when you're a single parent, <laughs> you are able to just do whatever you want and and not have someone check you on it and not be frustrated at night because the dad's keeping the kids up when you're like, the kids need to go to bed and you're frustrated. Um, so there's <laughs> there's pros and cons to both, right? Um, but right now with our kids, we're, we just, we're just outside all the time. You know, we're, we're building our homestead here. So 
my five-year-old boy knows how to use a chainsaw. He knows how to use a bulldozer, an excavator, a skid steer. He knows how to chop wood. He knows how to make a fire. He knows, like at five years old, where- Careful, where you're going to have my... a social worker wind up at your door with a chainsaw <laughs> comment there. <laughs> Believe me, I, I get in trouble in my DMs all the time because I show him driving this big machinery. But um, it, he he just knows how to do that. But he also- he he's also not right now, but he's going to know how to ferment his own bread and how to make his own bread. And, you know, my kids are both going to know how to, I don't know how much, I, well, I can say a lot on here. You always say a lot. They're both going to know how to shoot a gun, how to protect mm-hmm. themselves, how to, how to do what you do with your kids as well. Like just so many different hands on things that Oliver wasn't able to experience hands on and wasn't able to make that connection because it was just such a different regimented idea. And, you know, for my kids, they're so confident in doing what they know how to do because they don't have any tests telling them what they're good at or what they're not. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're still young, obviously we're going to be doing kind of more of a regimented thing as, as they get older. But for right now, we're honestly just outside 90% of their waking hours. They're outside. They're just playing, they're exploring they're working with us. They're doing chores. You know, they have a schedule. It's basically our our home schedule. And while we're out there, we're counting rocks. We're adding rocks. We're subtracting rocks. We're multiplying, you know, trees. We're just doing everything where they're learning math and learning different skills. Now, do, do you have like like a general idea? And the reason I ask this is like Washington State, for example, where we are homeschooling slash unschooling, they have a list of 12 core subjects that a child has to demonstrate proficiency in. And then there's also the fact that if they, they want to go to a college or university, there's certain elements of an entrance exam that they might have to understand, like let's say algebra or calculus mm-hmm. or logic or some element of say like computer programming or, or science, chemistry, physics, et cetera. How do you tackle that? Like, how do you make sure that they're also learning what it is that, that the world, so to speak, kind of expects them to need to know for success later on in life, if they do need to jump through the hoops? Like, do you, do you keep track of that at all? Do you have like a, a plan or a curriculum in any rough format at all? I will. (laughs) I don't right now because we're just doing so much with our business and with starting over here in Texas. Um, but I absolutely will. There's tons of books. There's tons of, of resources online, like just for your area, just for our area here of Texas. Cause everything's like you said, different in every state. So once I get more specific, which is in within this year, cause Alakai is turning six this year. Um, so within this year, we'll definitely be looking into all of that because yeah, we're not just completely off the grid. You know, we're, yeah. we're in society, we're, we're doing it here. We want to do it right for them. Um, but yeah, yeah. we'll we, be looking we, into we, all that. I just don't have anything right now. Yeah. We, we try to check a balance. So, so what we do is we usually set things up as like quarterly blocks, almost like yeah. quarterly semesters. And each of those at, at the beginning, and we, we have a meeting with our kids and this person who we hired to kind of like be the educational coordinator to help us like keep track of everything on a spreadsheet. And they scan their journals and their activities for each day and send them to her. And she makes sure that we not only have pretty robust records to where we could demonstrate what it is that they've learned each day or each week or month or block, but then she also figures out, okay, well, they've shown an interest in, let's say, like glass blowing. So which part of this year is going to be a good mm. one for them to 
go in and enter a glass blowing class, or these are the 12 core subjects that Washington State requires them to be studying, which block are they going to, or which time of the day or time of the week are they going to actually do those things that might not be the the intense passions and interests and desires that they have. Like, let's say math or um, learning a language like Spanish or mm-hmm. physics or chemistry. So, so there's a little bit of programming in there to where like they'll wake up and there's typically couple of one hour blocks during the day where they are learning in a more traditional sense of the word, like they're actually with mm-hmm. books or with an online tutor or taking an online class or doing something that would be considered traditional education. But then yeah. aside from those couple of hours, like everything else is based on them in our meetings with them and with their educational coordinator explaining to us what it is that they're actually really, really interested in, what it is they're curious about. And then us figuring out activities in the local community or tutors yep. or online classes or things we can order from Amazon in terms of like games or books or toys or projects for them to do during the day. And then the other thing is that there's also things that you might come across as a parent that you think would be cool for your kids to learn. Like for me, a lot of times it's books, right? So mm-hmm. for example, I just finished The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. And both mm-hmm. of my sons, great book, by the way, both of my sons they're really into writing fiction. They're really into making music. They're, they're super into art. And so I knew right off the bat, oh, there's a lot of really good information in this book as far as co-writing and co-authoring, you know, working with other collaborators on a project, expressing your true authentic art versus what you think the world expects, looking at things from a passion standpoint versus a monetization standpoint, et cetera. And so typically what I do is each month, there'll be one new book that I've read that I mm-hmm. then take them through. And usually it's like right before we have dinner, we go through and cover the chapter or the couple of chapters from that book that they've read. We have a discussion about it before dinner. And then typically they're writing some kind of a book report on that book. Uh, another mm-hmm. example would be like, you know, I recently discovered some videos that I like from a guy named Dennis Prager who runs Prager U and these little five minute videos. And so when I discover something like that, I will email their educational coordinator. I'll say, Hey, These are really cool videos. I want my sons to be able to watch them too. And then she'll look over their schedule and be like, okay, so there's a, these are five minute long videos. So she'll be like, oh, they have a morning slot on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during which they could squeeze in that five minute video and then write down in their journal that they then scan later on and send to her like one paragraph of what they learned from that. And so it's like this, it's this balance between what the world expects them to know that they do need to know if they want to like go to college later on or pass an entrance Mm -hmm. exam or something like that. Plus what they've expressed in terms of their own passions and interests and desires, which is honestly like probably 70% of what they do. Plus Mm -hmm. what you've discovered as a parent that they might not have discovered on their own, but that you think would be really, really beneficial for them. And you figuring out a way to, to finally squeeze that into the day. So those are kind of like the three elements that we, that we weave into their unschooling or homeschooling or alternative education, whatever you want to call it. And your boys are, are they teenagers yet? They're 14. Yeah. 14. Yeah. And they, did they write their own cookbook or something too? Well, didn't I see that? I, I think it's good for every, every kid to be encouraged to have some kind of like a business because yeah. a, they learn how to take whatever their purpose statement is in life and weave that into some type of work that could be monetized or could pay the Function, bills yeah. or could at least get the information that they love to learn and deliver that to the world in some meaningful way. And, th- and this is yeah. something that like 
another repeated theme in balance that like a lot of these parents, kids, they have a YouTube channel or they have like a yeah. mini podcast or they have like a blog where they're writing articles and, and putting them out there in the public. And the, the reason I like that is a, it teaches them how to take what they've learned and teach that to others or deliver it to the world in some meaningful way. But then because they have a cooking podcast and cooking videos that they mm. put out and like affiliate accounts and sponsors and expenses in terms of like paying a social media manager, et cetera, they now have to review their profit and loss statements each month. Mm -hmm. They have to decide if they want to hire someone to delegate something to, you know, let's say like making a new website versus learning how to do that themselves. And, and so in that way, they have to decipher doing what it is that they're good at versus spending time in the weeds on things that might not be their best purpose or their best calling. And so who knows, like they might, you know, drop this whole cooking podcast when they're 16 or 17. Maybe it'll branch out into some other website where it's not just cooking, it's, it's writing, it's fiction, it's, it's, you know, painting, whatever. But the idea of giving your child some kind of a platform and, and they've, you know, they've had that platform since they were seven years old to be able to publicly give stuff to the world and then be able to track a lot of the ins and outs from a business standpoint of what's going on with that. I think it's more beneficial than like a paper route or, um, or some other like traditional job, you know, so I, I think from an early age, training a child in some way to take their passions and weave entrepreneurship into that is a really good idea. So yeah, to answer your question for them, it was a cooking podcast. Well, you're teaching this so many different skills, like a multitude of skills in that one self-employment experience. So yeah. that's what I love about the generation that, that we are even, um, but especially our kids with the whole COVID thing that happened because you know, growing up, my mom, all my mom was a nurse. And when my dad died, you know, she always said to us girls, uh, I have a sister and two brothers. And she always said to us girls, doesn't matter who you marry, make sure you have a career, get your career. Don't only have your husband, you know, making the money like you need to have your own career. And that was always in the back of my mind as I was modeling, because I was like, shoot, this isn't really a career. Like I need to get that classic career. And my sister became a nurse. And so a part of me always felt like my mom was more proud of my sister because I was just a model. And even though I was making money, it wasn't like this secure career, as it were. But what's funny, not funny at all, but ironic is so my sister was a nurse for 21 years. And I was a model and an actress and an athlete and now an influencer, like all of these classic, really not careers, um, all these self-employed things. And now my sister, after 21 years of being a nurse, was just recently fired for hmm. mandates. So she now lost her job and I am thriving in my, you know, in my way of how I'm monetizing and my uh, Arlen just brought it up last night where he's like, you know, do you think you, you know, your mom would be so proud of you? And I was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if she would be. She, I don't know if she would still have it in her brain that I should have had a career, but it's so funny, right? Because my entire growing up, I was like, oh, need to have a career, need to have a career. So now even, I love that you said that about your boys, because it's exactly what we're doing with our children too, where it's like, you want to teach them all of these different skills so that they don't need to choose a career because we've all seen in 2020 that you can lose your career of 50 years just on a, on a dime. Yeah. 
So having like teaching skills instead of like teaching mindset and teaching skills so that they can be resilient and adaptive because there's, there's the the world is changing at such a rapid pace now that there's not really one thing that you can do to survive. You need to do a multitude of things. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's something, and, and this might not be perfect for every parent, but we have like this family constitution. It's got our family mission statement values and everything else in it. But as a part of that constitution, it's written in there that by the age of 16, a child needs to have developed like, like a, a greenfield mm-hmm. son or daughter needs to have developed some way to be able to be financially independent. Right. Mm. And so my sons have known that since they were about 10 years old. And I kind of remind them about it like every month, like how is your, <laughs> your merchandising account on Threadless going? And how's that book that you're developing going that you're learning how to write a, a book proposal for that you could get out to a publisher for eventual sales. And so they know at the back of their mind that they can't just play, right? And you, you don't yeah. want to adult them too soon, but they know that at some point they have to be able to monetize some of their passions to be able to bring in money to help to support the family, to help to pay the bills, to help to save up for college if that's what they want to do, to help to support their business if that's what they want to do. They they know that the money from mom and dad starts to get cut off at age 16. And I mean, we even have like a family trust and, and any any wealth that's distributed from dad or mom and that family trust, well, it's slowly bled out between the ages of 18 and 35, right? Like they wouldn't get it in all mm-hmm. one lump sum. So we we kind of are trying to create a scenario where they realize they have that slight mild pressure, not stressful, but but enough pressure to know that they need to develop some form of financial independence by the time they're 16 years old. Well, I think the the biggest point of that is monetizing their passions. You're not <laughs> you're not a slave driver. You're they're right. they're passionate about something. And the best thing, the goal in life is to monetize from something that you love to love what you do or love, love, love how you work. And it's never work. What's that? Yeah. It's Mark, Mark Twain. Yeah. I love, love what you do and work becomes play or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's never work. Yeah. I mean, I, I wake up every single morning so filled with passion because I love my work so much. I don't need coffee to wake up. I don't need anything to wake up now. At 44 years old, I'm literally waking up before my kids because I'm so passionate about teaching and about what I do that it's not work. Like I've become a workaholic because I love my work so much. Yeah, yeah, and And I I I agree with all of that except the coffee part. I still love my coffee. So, well, um, I have my coffee daily. (laughs) Obviously, I just don't need it. You know, people ask me, "Well, when do you have your coffee?" I'm like, probably not till about 10 o'clock in the morning after I've had my breakfast, my coffee is like, it's like a bonus. It's like a treat. It's something that I look forward to. It doesn't wake me up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Now one, one part on your website, speaking of coffee and habits and routines is you guys, you, you and Arlen have a really great like blog and wellness platform and, and a lot of education for people out there. And you have one section of your website where you talk a lot about like the tools that you do everything from movement, like walking and stretching and exercise and hiking connection with nature. And then you get all the way into self-care, like meditation and breath work and, you know, hot baths and brain training. So I'm curious for you from a, from a routine standpoint and, and you being someone who really, prioritizes and uh, um, optimizes wellness, what it looks like for you as a mother and as a parent 
weaving a lot of these wellness routines and even in some cases what people might call like, you know, biohacking, et cetera, into a daily routine? I guess this is this is one of those rote questions, but I, I think mm. this is always an interesting question. Like, what does the day actually look like for you in terms of especially how you're weaving in caring for your own body and brain? Because my, my audience just loves the health stuff and mm-hmm. also often ask me, like, how do you squeeze it all in with the kids and everything else? So what does your day mm-hmm. look like, you, you and Arlind? Yeah, I get that question every single day as well. What's a day in the life? What do you eat? Blah, blah, blah. And I never answer the question um, simply because there is no simple answer. For me, everything is seasonal. It's cyclical and it's seasonal. So for me, being a 44-year-old woman, everything is in a cycle. So my schedule is very flexible. It's much like what you said with your kids too, where you have these increments and you have routine, but with flexibility. So I have this list of what I know I want to do within my cycle. So whether I'm in my follicular phase or luteal phase or menstrual phase, every day will look different within that phase for me. And also it'll be flexible with my two kids. So I, I have a teenager. Wait, who wait, now I got to across- interrupt you right there. Just real quick. How do you actually map your cycle? Are you using like a, like temperature? Yeah, I use my aura ring. I use temperature. I okay. also have an app on my phone. So I do those, those three things. I also, um, check my, my mucus. And okay. I, I, oh, wow. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. My, my discharge. I don't know how else to, it, there's nothing cute about that. Um, <laughs> in how to say that, but I do check my discharge to see when I'm ovulating and, and what phase I'm in. Um, cause your body is a miracle and it tells you everything you need to know. Uh, so I use like a multi faceted approach to, to fertility and to, to checking my, my seasons, uh, or my cycle. Okay. And, uh, now I just got thrown off because I just said the word discharge and moist, and I don't I, like that. But I, I was I was just keeping my mouth shut. But but go on, <laughs> M- moving on from the discharge. What what anyway, else does the day look like? Yeah, once I've checked my discharge, I usually like to get into the cold plunge. No, so again, no day looks the same because if I were to be so regimented that I need to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and then go for a run and then do the cold plunge. And then like, if I was up till two o'clock in the morning with my, with one of my kids, then I'm not, I'm going to give myself grace and I'm not going to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. So every day looks different. And also whether I'm weight training on the day or whether I'm, um, walking or whether I'm running, you know, I cold plunge and I sauna on different times in my cycle as well. Yeah. I, I talk about this right now because cold plunging has become such a hot thing for people. And it's so funny because, you know, you and I have done it for, for years that now when I'm talking about it, people are like, Oh, how long do you stay in? And I'm like, well, it's not, it's not a PR, like, especially for women, it's extremely harmful to think that you have to go in there as, and set a PR because it's not a competition. Some days it's much more beneficial for me to be in for 30 seconds than it is for me to be in for nine minutes because of my body composition, because of what part of my cycle I'm in there's going to be negatives um, for me to stay in longer. You know, I stayed in for nine and a half minutes at 30 degrees and I almost died one morning because I did it alone. I became so hypothermic that I couldn't even warm up in the sauna and I started going into convulsions because I'm so competitive with myself and I didn't know, you know, there was those diminishing returns. (laughs) So you need to know your body. And I, I mean, I, I'm a biohacker in the true sense of the word that I just, I experiment on myself. I have for the last 10 years. 
So I read and I, and I research and I do stuff, but I'm my own guinea pig. So I'm not reading. And there's also not a lot of, of stuff out there right now for women with, with cold plunging and with saunas and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm doing my own experiments on when, where is that point of diminishing returns? Where is that point where it's too far? And then I see what part of my cycle and am I, am I in? And I don't, I don't, I want to get the most benefits and stacking those benefits. So again, going back to what does a day look like? It's all over the place. All I know is that I have certain things in certain seasons of my life that I know will be beneficial for me with where I'm at. And I know that sounds like the most general thing, but like right now I have these small kids, so I'm not training for triathlon. I don't have these big goals where training would take me away for four or five hours from my kids during the day. I'll, I'll be in that season. I, you know, I'm going to be training for an Ironman when my kids are more independent and when they don't need me as much. I would love to do an Ironman in my 70s. Yeah. yeah that, I just that's, don't want to train for that right now when they're so small. That's something I think about a lot, too. Like there are, there are certain like epic hunts up in Alaska that I want to go on and and some different climbs I've been invited on. And for me, it's been a process of telling myself, well, your sons are going to be grown and out of the house at a certain point. You'll have many years to engage in these solo, you know, mildly selfish activities that are that are big epic adventures you couldn't take a 12-year-old boy on. Uh, mm-hmm. Second, they're becoming of the age to where, like, we can do a lot of this stuff together. Like, we have a free diving and a spearfishing trip later on in this year. We're going to do, like, a Navy SEAL beatdown style weekend in California in March. We're doing a, a hunt in Molokai, a bow hunt in Molokai for axis steer uh, later on in the spring. And so it's it's kind of funny because as they get older, you can start to do a lot of this stuff with them. And, and for us, like from the get-go, even when I was training for Ironman, when they were kids, you know, it was a double jogging stroller up and down a hill and it was dragging yeah. the double bike stroller behind me on the bike. And it was literally swimming with them on my back. And when the YMCA lifeguards didn't like that, I would do kickboards <laughs> and they would like kickboard behind me or they would sit on the edge of the pool and watch me and cheer for me and and help me to count laps. And now like when I do breath work, I'm dragging them into the sauna and we're all sitting there and sweating and we're all going out to the cold pool. And even though I sometimes have my workouts that I do and they're part of this little club called Apogee, which is a group of, of young men who challenge each other with workouts and have monthly meetings with a mentor et cetera, or actually it's weekly meetings every Friday with some new mentor, you know, like a, like a military specialist or an inspirational speaker or whatever. And as a part of that, there's workouts that are assigned to them. And there are a lot of times, you know, push up, squat, burpee, pull up style workouts, but I'll find out from them in the morning when we do our, our family meditations in the morning, which is also kind of like the family huddle to find out what everybody's up to during the day, what are we going to have for dinner? What time is mom going to yoga? You know, what, what special activities do the boys have during the day? I'll find out what their workout is and then I'll either do it with them or if I've already got my own thing planned because I'm doing a lot more kind of like, I don't know, old manish, super slow training now and, you know, things different than burpees and pull-ups, <laughs> I'll simply go out to the gym with them. They do their workout. I do mine. I put a podcast on a big Bluetooth speaker or an audio book or some nice music and we're out there together. And so from the get-go, from a very early age, I, from from when they were very early age, I've tried to figure out a way as inconvenient as it can sometimes be to creatively include them in as many of my physical activities as possible, even if that means scaling the workout or even just letting them do their own thing, but having me be around as a part of it. I mean, even for Spartan racing, you know, I used to go out on fitness walks where I would do bear crawls and 
log lifts and burpees, and they would just be like extra weights that I drag around with me. So if you get creative and, and again, like I see this a lot with the parents in the boundless parenting book, like they try to include their kids along with them versus pressuring themselves to get up at 4am and get to the gym and get it all done so that they can be home and be with the family. If you're creative, you can include the family with a lot of this stuff. That's exactly what, what I've done my, my entire life as a parent as well is giving yourself enough grace to know that there's seasons. And I did the stroller thing as well. Like I would put on a packed weighted vest and do the stroller. And then like my, my kids always have done stuff with us. And there's again, seasons now where they're a little bit older, where Arland is at home. So he's able to like this morning, you know, he's able to be in the house with them if they were to wake up. But I wake up early because that's my sweet spot. I go for a run. I do my whole cold plunge, sauna, everything come back by the time they wake up and Arland is here. But I couldn't do that for a while. And I certainly didn't do that when Ollie was young either. So but they they watch you. I think the biggest thing for me that I keep on talking about is do, do what you can in the season you're in and do what brings you joy. Because if it doesn't bring you joy, like it brings me so much joy to wake up and watch the sunrise and to be going for my run uh, um, and the sunrise. And But if it doesn't, if that's not what you like to do, then don't do it. Do something else that brings you joy. And your your kids will see that and they will witness that. Like the other day they were playing with Orbeez and they put them in this in this big black container and Ocean, my four-year-old, runs up. She goes, Mama, can we put water in this? It's our Orby cold plunge. Uh-huh. She like she knows that it's a cold plunge. Or, And sometimes you can do it with them. Sometimes you make sure that they're taken care of, and then you prioritize yourself. But they know that as well. And it's not out of guilt. It's out of knowing that you're prioritizing yourself so that you can be in a place where you can then keep on taking care of others. So I don't put my kids to bed every night. Arlen does. But I don't. So I, I'll do the nighttime routine with them and then I'll kiss them goodnight. And <laughs> a couple nights ago, I kissed them goodnight and, and Alec, I goes, okay, mom, have a good enema. I love you. Because he knows that I'm going That's into funny. the bathroom and my, I'm doing my sons my, say my the same enema. thing. They see me walking upstairs Wednesday mornings with the stainless steel <laughs> bucket that smells like coffee. And I come out like exactly. a half hour later and like, hey, dad, how was your enema? And it's just, a, you know, enema? I don't know how many kids grow up with their parents just walking out of the bathroom with an enema bucket. But it is funny. Like like kids just, nope. they, they assume it's it's normality. And I don't imagine when they go over to their friends' houses for slumber parties that a lot of the other parents are doing coffee enemas in the morning. But, it's, you know, that, you know, the family meditations, the breath work, the sauna, the cold. Yeah. yeah, they're growing up in a different environment. But I think that that's better than, you know, them being a square peg in a square hole and, and just, you know, fitting in. Now, you yeah, totally you agree. um you you have some really cool kind of like closing statements in your chapter of Boundless where you talk about the message for parents that you would put on a billboard. Like one is be the example for your kids that you wish you had for yourself, which which goes along the lines of what many other parents said, like more is caught than taught or be an example. Don't just talk to them, but show and demonstrate. Um, and then you also have the message to slow down. Your kids are only so young for a tiny season of your life. But then you also say you want to have a huge billboard that just says grace. Now we all need to give ourselves more grace. I'd love to hear you explain what you mean by grace and giving yourself more grace as a parent. Uh, it goes exactly along with do what you can in the season that you're in, because it, exactly what we were just talking about of, of, you know, do you wake up at six o'clock in the morning? Do you do this or do you do that? And 
we now more than ever before, because of social media being this huge platform of comparison and anxiety, it can obviously be used for for good, for motivation, inspiration, resources, education. But I would say the biggest thing that it's used for is, is comparison, unfortunately. And there's so much paralysis in thinking that, and that's, again, why I love this parenting book, because there's so many different modalities. Nothing is going to look the same, and it doesn't have to. You can do what's best for you in the season that you're in. I have two completely different parenting styles like I, that I did with Oliver than I do with these kids, and which is completely different than how I grew up. But when you when you focus on seasons and on cycles and knowing that the season is going to change, and if you're doing the best you can with the tools that you have in that season, but constantly keep on growing those tools so that you can be better in the next season and giving yourself grace along the way. And that's my biggest message is don't compare yourself, do what you can in the season that you're in, give yourself grace because if you're, if you don't give yourself grace (laughs) and I'm preaching to the choir, but if you don't give yourself grace, you're going to lose all the intention that you have and completely burn out and you're not no good as a parent anyway or as a human being because yeah. you just burnt out. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, we we hear that mantra how you live your days is how you live your life. And I think mm. some people take that and try to set up the same daily routine, especially parents, day after day and then guilt trip themselves when mm. they have a season of life where they don't get whatever, you know, for our audience, mm. like the workout or the cold plunge or the red light or the meditation. But I think what's more important, like you've just explained, and perhaps that phrase should be rephrased for a lot of parents, how you live your seasons is how you live your life. It doesn't have to be the same. And for me as a creature of habit, I've had to give myself permission to make calls on the fly when it comes to mm-hmm. how the day is going to go and to still have the general perspective. Hey, you know, I want to move. I want to get hot. I want to get cold. I want to get access to sunlight. I want to get access to the planet earth. I want to eat good nutrient dense food, but it doesn't have to be, you know, I got to get my 20 minute meditation at exactly seven 30 in the morning, or I have to do the heat and the cold plunge right before dinner to optimize my glycemic stability before dinner, or I have to have my superfood smoothie for breakfast versus, you know, taking the kids out for waffles or having a cinnamon roll with them while we play cards at the breakfast table. Like you just have to understand that it's going to fluctuate, but the days, if you have this general theme, and I love that article, I'll link to it on the, on, on the show notes. If folks go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Fletcher, you have an article like 51 different things that are part of your wellness routine. Well, it's not as though each of those need to be rigidly scheduled every day. It's just that the general outlook, hey, I get hot, I get cold, I move, I breathe, et cetera, is just woven into the season. And then from there, you got to have a great amount of flexibility, especially if you're a parent. It shouldn't be a daily thing because I think for for a daily thing for me, the goal is to be fruitful. And being being fruitful looks different in in the four different seasons. So if you want to be fruitful in the winter, you're not going to put your pot out in the middle of the field with enough sun, like with the, with the sun, you need to bury something in the winter. You need to bury it in the dark and cover it so that it can like do what it needs to do to be fruitful in the winter. So it can be fruitful in the summer. You know what I mean? Like spring, 
everything looks different in different seasons. You do different things in the spring than you do in the fall. That the season of the fall is so beautiful because we celebrate death. Yeah. So that we can celebrate new life. But if you if you did the same thing, like as a farmer, if you did the exact same thing throughout all four seasons, you wouldn't yeah. have a crop. Yeah. But to be fruitful, to actually have a crop, you have to use different tools, different modalities for the different seasons of life that you're in. Yeah. And that's just become so valuable for me because it's not monotonous. It's not overwhelming. You know that there's a season to slow down. There's a season to just go hard and make hay while the sun shines. Like there's these different seasons and it keeps it, it keeps it attainable rather than just overwhelming and, and, and paralyzing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know we're running out of time, but I absolutely loved your chapter in the book. Like, like all of the chapters, it's just got a fresh, unique perspective and you have that unique standpoint of having been a divorced single mother all the way to being a married mother now. And, and your, your story is just super inspiring. So I recommend if people want to read that, you can go, of course, to boundlessparentingbook.com, shameless plug. And I'll also link to Angie's <laughs> website where she does, like I mentioned, have some great articles and really good perspectives as far as maintaining wellness as a parent and as a, a, a busy working mom. And that's all at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Fletcher, F-L-E-T-C-H-E-R. And when you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Fletcher, you can ask Angie more questions. You can ask her more about her routine. You can leave your own comments or thoughts or questions or feedback or tips of your own. So again, it's all at bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash Fletcher. And Angie, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing all this with us. Yeah, I'm so grateful. I've been inspired by you for over a decade, uh, personally and with your parenting and everything. So it's it's a great honor to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Well, folks, I'm Ben Greenfield, along with Angie Fletcher, signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. Just imagine a hotel surrounded by nature, vineyards and gardens, this forest classified as a historical garden in a very special country at a hotel located in the oldest demarcated wine region in the world. Imagine this place has a state-of-the-art spa, 2,200 square meters, 10 treatment rooms, an indoor pool with underwater sound and chromotherapy. Imagine a kitchen team that brings to the table not just delicious food at this place, but values environmental sustainability and wellness and local sensitivity and global sensibility. Imagine being able to be bathed in luxury and being able to be local to buy local, and to eat local, not caged off as some fancy tourist, but as a part of the community and a part of the terroir of the region. Well, that's exactly what you experience in Portugal at their Sixth Senses Luxury Retreat. And I'm going to be there for a special event that you can read up on at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Sixth Senses. It's called the Boundless Retreat. And at bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses, you can see everything we're doing. Every day starts with a healthy farmhouse breakfast, morning movement session with me. You get access to three different 60-minute spa treatments that you can choose from throughout the day, indoor pool and vitality suites, meditation, sound healing, an alchemy bar with kokodama and yogurts and pickles and sprouts workshops, retreat meals all made from locally sourced organic produce, Q&As and sing-along sessions with me. This is going to be an amazing remarkable once-in-a-lifetime experience. You get four nights full-board accommodation in a deluxe room there at the facility. And this thing, as you can imagine, is going to fill up fast. It's in Portugal 
at the Six Senses Retreat in Portugal. Again, all the details are at bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses. And the dates are February 27th through March 3rd, 2023. February 27th through March 3rd, 2023. I hope to see you there. One thing you should know that's super cool is that on the evening of March 11th in Sedona, I'm hosting a VIP dinner that's catered by me and my family using a bunch of biohacked recipes from my Boundless Cookbook, live music, an intimate Q&A, and an absolutely unforgettable once-in-a-lifetime taste-but-entertaining experience where you just come and hang out with me. Regardless of whether or not you go to the event that I'll be teaching at there at Shine in Sedona uh, from March 10th through the 12th, you're in for the VIP dinner. With only 25 seats available, this thing's going to fill up fast. It's a VIP dinner. Only a select few. We want to keep this small, intimate, but super fun with amazing food. So if you want to get on the VIP dinner as a part of this event that I'm doing down in Sedona, go to bengreenfieldspeaking.com forward slash Sedona dash dinner. bengreenfieldspeaking.com forward slash Sedona dash dinner. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside-the-box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be, and just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.